This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It was the deadliest attack on Jews in American history, and ironically, it happened just as Holocaust Education Week was about to begin. I talked to 98-year-old survivor Max Eisen, who's been telling the harrowing story of his life in the notorious concentration camp Auschwitz for 32 years. And a very popular renewal of one aspect of Jewish culture is in full swing in Toronto. I'm talking about food with Anthony Rose, who is known as the king of comfort food. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. A German nurse has admitted to killing a hundred of his patients. It's the biggest serial killing in Germany's post-war history. Niels Hogel was accused of intentionally administering medical overdoses so he could bring his victims back to life at the last moment to appear heroic. In each case, he injected a medication that triggered a cardiac arrest and then tried to resuscitate the patient. The victims ranged from 34 to 96 years old. The 41-year-old nurse has already spent nearly 10 years in prison as he serves a life term for other patient deaths. Experts say it's hard to predict what kind of flu season Ontario will get this year, but hope it's not as bad as last year when two strains were circulating at the same time. That sent almost 9,000 people to hospital and 619 died as a result. Even if it's a mild flu season, health officials recommend you get the flu shot to prevent the spread, particularly for older people and the very young. This year, a new high-dose vaccine specifically for seniors is available and covered by OHIP. Robert Weiner is officially Canada's oldest man. The retired oral surgeon turned 110 on October 27th. He also has the distinction of being the 10th oldest man on the planet. Other than some hearing loss and poor eyesight, he's doing well. For the last 10 years, Robert has lived in a senior's residence in Westmount, Quebec. He still jumps on the stationary bike every morning and works out with dumbbells. The plight of a Manitoba couple, married for 71 years, highlights a problem across the country. 92-year-old Dorothy Smith was moved to a long-term care home after a bad fall. Her 95-year-old husband, Alan, would like to live with his wife, but says he's too healthy for the facility. So he drives every day from the apartment they shared to the care home to visit his wife. But the daily drive and separation is taking its toll. Advocates are demanding that the rules be changed. But the province's health minister says there are no plans to change care delivery. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. 
Holocaust Education Week began just days after the horrific massacre at a Pittsburgh synagogue. Eleven people were murdered and six wounded by a gunman shouting anti-Semitic slurs. Can this become a teachable moment? I talked to 98-year-old Max Eisen. He survived the notorious death camp Auschwitz-Birkenau and has been sharing his experience for 32 years. It's very shocking. And, um, you know, people just don't get it. You know, uh, we who have experienced it, we have seen it all. It starts with words and it ends in horrible places like... Birkenau, Majdanek, Treblinka, Belgium, Kremlin, all these terrible places. It definitely brings back, you know, how can you not be affected by this? This is a terrible thing. After surviving this terrible thing, we had a respite for a few years. Can you tell us, tell me a little bit about your experience in the Holocaust? I was born in Czechoslovakia in a free democratic country, and um, I had a large extended family, both my paternal and maternal side, and Czechoslovakia was the first victim of Nazi Germany. The country was partitioned in 1939, and we were given to Hungary. Life was turned upside down and lived under these laws, uh, were eliminated from everyday life. Had to wear a yellow star. I was thrown out of school when I was 12 and a half years old. And we were deported in 1944, the last year of the war, to uh, Birkenau, Auschwitz. And out of um, 65 to 70 members of both sides of my family, there were only three of us survived. And uh, I was liberated on May the 6th, 1945. Nine months in Auschwitz one. Three months in uh, three other camps, Mauthausen, Malk, and Ebensee, and I was 15 years old. How did you survive in the camp? Barely. I had my father and uncle not being with me. We were, the three of us, we were selected for slave labor, and they were truly my guardian angels there. How do you get acclimatized living under this system, a brutal system, where you're doing hard labor 10 to 12 hours a day, and your diet is a liquid diet, 300 calories a cup of tea in the morning and a ladle of soup, so-called, uh, for lunch and a cup of ersatz coffee for dinner and a thin slice of bread and a tiny square of margarine. And there was no water in between. And what happened to the women in your family? When we arrived in Birkenau, there was a selection on the platform. There was a unit of SS soldiers, and there was probably a Dr. Mengel on the platform with his white gloves. And my father and uncle were sent to the right, and he looked at me and sent me to the right. And they said that your women who had a child in their arm, like my mother, they were told that they were going for disinfection. And we didn't know otherwise, because we had no idea in 1944 what this place was all about. They were marched in so my mother with her three children, my grandfather, grandmother, and my aunt. There were no goodbyes said here. They said, you'll see them tomorrow morning. By the next day, I knew uh, what happened to them. They simply marched off from the platform to the gas chamber and crematoria, too, and they were put into a chamber, 2,000 people at a time, and murdered. That's what happened. I knew the next day um, that those chimneys were where my family was gassed. 
You know how naive we were. Clothes were taken away, our hair was shaved, and early morning we were woken up by these couples beating on their bunk beds, yelling Rauschnell, and we were hauled outside of the barrack. And this was my first glimpse of Birkenau, Auschwitz, too. Hundreds of barracks, and there were four huge chimneys, flames and smoke. And I thought this was a huge industrial zone. There was a terrible smell in the air of burning flesh. I could see emaciated people. Two men in their striped uniform brought a canister of liquid. My father asked them, are we going to see our families today? So they were laughing. They said, in 1944, you don't know what this place is all about. He said, your families have gone to the chimney. And I keep thinking, how does a person, why would a person go to a chimney? I couldn't understand. And my father and uncle were selected out in July, July the 9th, 1944. In the middle of the night, these selections happened, and um, I only had seconds to say goodbye to them, and uh, my two guardian angels were gone, never saw them again. And um, it was a devastating moment to be left alone in this brutal place. And I knew that these were the two last members of my family, my father and my uncle, because I knew that the others had no chance. I had a um, incident with an SS guard out on a job. I was sort of loafing on the job, and somehow he sneaked up on us, and he hit me with the butt of his gun, and I went into shock. I lost a lot of blood. I was thrown into a ditch, and I knew that my life was over. So for me, in hindsight, that hit that I received from this SS guard actually saved my life. I was operated on by two uh, Polish surgeons who were political prisoners. Chief surgeon was a doctor, Tadeusz Zeszko, and a doctor, Sobieszczanski. And uh, the deal was, if you couldn't walk away from the hospital, two days later you were put on a stretcher. and. Uh, taken to the gas chamber back to Auschwitz. So I was loaded on a stretcher, and they were taking me through uh, the hallway in the barrack. And Dr. Rzeszko pulled me off the stretcher, brought me into the prep room of the surgery, gave me a lab coat, and he said that I'm going to be the cleaner. And uh, he saved my life, and I was working for him for six months. So um, that's how I survived Auschwitz. Do you think that there is any chance that this horrible synagogue shooting in Pittsburgh could turn into a teachable moment? I tell you, I was at the vigil at Melasman Square. It was an amazing thing, and I always say when I speak to people, this is not a Jewish thing. The Jews are the first, but you know, when these things happen, our own freedom and our way of life will pay a big price down the road. I think it's a very important moment. That was Holocaust survivor Max Eisen. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Weekend Review. Coming up, after a terribly sad week, we'll talk about a happy aspect of Jewish culture that is going mainstream, the food. You're listening to the Zoomer Weekend Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. He's been called the Don of DuPont and the Sultan of Smoked Meat. 
Anthony Rose is one of Toronto's most prominent restaurateurs who currently runs a new-style Jewish deli, an Israeli Middle Eastern restaurant, and a takeout and sandwich joint called Schmaltz Appetizing. Schmaltz means melted chicken fat or excessive sentimentality, and it's also the title of his new cookbook, The Last Schmaltz. At first, you were called the comfort food king. Right. I prefer the dawn of DuPont now. I like, I don't mind comfort, but I, I like that comfort kind of means something different to everyone. And there's so many cultures going on that I wanted something a little, a little different. It could have been like something more rustic, something more country, something more Jewish for that matter, like a little bit of everything. I wanted to ask about that. So you've gone back to your roots a lot, your Jewish roots. But it also is part of there. There was this whole move. I think it started in New York, where suddenly Jewish food, Ashkenazi Jewish food, became right. hip again after being extremely unfashionable for a long time. Right. My background wasn't Middle Eastern or Israeli. It's Eastern European, Ashkenazi, as you said. So, to me, I understood the gefilte fish and the brisket. And the matzo ball soup and the pastrami. So we, we combined them both. So you decided to go back to your roots, but it's, it's part of a big kind of revival, isn't it? Yeah, we've been very lucky to kind of be in the middle of that. And you saw the decline of the appetizing store and the dairy restaurant and the delicatessen, not only in Toronto, but in Montreal and in New York and San Francisco where I lived. And they were few and far between. And and now they're just, they're coming back. Like, it's very, very trendy almost. We used to have, you mentioned, all these delis in Toronto. Why, why did it all decline? It, it's not that they declined. They definitely went a different route. You had all these restaurants that you could only get pastrami at or matzo ball soup or chopped liver. And I think as diets changed, they, they wanted more than that. So a lot of these delis you know, started offering salads and egg dishes and everything else. So over time, it just became in deli and delicatessen and appetizing stores became not only one, but also became too big for what they were and were offering too many things. And they put burritos on there and quesadillas and chicken fingers. So it became something quite different than what we're trying to bring it back as. You say in the book that part of the ethos is that uh, the complaining of people? Yeah, it's the best part. Okay, well, here goes. <laughs> Your smoked fish and everything is great, but those bagels. <laughs> we made a decision right at the beginning just to sell one type of bagel, not a Montreal bagel, not a New York-style bagel, what we like to call a, a Toronto bagel or Toronto-style. And after about six months of... People complaining, it was like, oh, why do you only have this bagel? Or why can't we get a Montreal bagel? Or why can't we get a Greif's bagel? We tried it one weekend. We brought in Montreal-style bagels as well. Now we had two types of bagels, and then the customers were coming in, and the customers were complaining to us, like, oh, now you have Montreal bagels? And they were complaining to the other staff there as well. And then there was a fight between Montreal bagels and Toronto bagels, not only only between the staff and the customers, but the customers and the customers. And it took 20 minutes longer to, to get anything done in that store. So I'm like, no. Just back to one bagel. We're done. Some of the recipes are for things like your gravlax, the pretty labor-intensive. Do you think people are actually going to cook this stuff? 
Yeah, I think so. The Gravlux in there, I think people can be scared of it. Not only, you know, it's a big chunk that you have to get, and then you have to cure it, and most people don't know how to cure it, a pickle or ferment. But once you do it once, it's fairly easy. One of the most labor-intensive things is in, in the book, not even labor-intensive, but I think that people are scared of making bread. But if you look at something like Bonnie's Hala, Bonnie Stern's Hala, it is an amazing recipe. And I remember making it in Jewish day school, you know, when I was seven years old. So if I can do it when I'm seven, you can easily try it. And it's the, the end result is so delicious. What do you want to tackle next? All I want to do next with all the restaurants is just go deeper into it. You know, I want to dive deeper into that whole world. And, you know, as we kind of get further into it, it is interesting to get more familiar with some of these Middle Eastern cooking techniques and spices. So I do want to get further into that and maybe Fat Pasha's a little less Ashkenazi and a little more Middle Eastern as well. I just think what we have is so important and there's, there's so much more to discover. The Last Schmaltz is co-authored by Anthony Rose and Chris Johns. I'm Libby Zneimer and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, the singer of Summer of 69 turns 59 tomorrow. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time for your international arts date book. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. We begin in New York City, where just ahead of the midterm elections, the Kasher Gallery is presenting Throw Shade, Then Vote, a solo exhibition of work by former White House photographer Peter Souza. It features 13 pictures which contrast vividly the Obama White House and Donald Trump's administration. Across the ocean, two centuries of photographic history are on display at London's Victoria and Albert Museum's new Photography Centre. Visitors enter through an installation of more than 150 cameras spanning 160 years. The New Orleans Museum of Art is celebrating the city's tricentennial with the Orleans Collection, featuring works from the Duke of Orleans, who was universally praised for compiling a collection of the most important works in the history of art. And in Buenos Aires, the first Tate exhibition to be shown in Argentina features the work of J.M.W. Turner, the greatest purveyor of English watercolors during the genre's golden age. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Datebook. Canadian rocker Brian Adams celebrates his 59th birthday tomorrow. Born November 5, 1959, Adams is not only one of the biggest rock stars to come out of the country, but anywhere in the world. He rose to fame with his 1983 album, Cuts Like a Knife, and the following year followed up with Reckless, which included some of his best-known songs like Run To You and Summer of 69. In 1991, he released Everything I Do, featured in the film Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and became an enormous success, spending seven consecutive weeks at the top of the Billboard charts and selling more than 15 million copies. To this day, it's still one of the top-selling singles of all time. Brian Adams has also had a successful career as a photographer. His work featured in a number of cover shoots for our own Zoomer magazine. Here is Brian Adams with 
Summer of 69. I got my first real six string. Bought it at the five and done. Played it till my fingers bled. Was a summer of 69. That was Brian Adams with Summer of 69. Tomorrow he celebrates his 59th birthday. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Snymer. Produced by Christine Ross, Paul Thomas, and Andre Lowy. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.